This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What is up, y'all? Coast to Coast Podcast coming at you. Brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. I am Joey Powell. All right, Coast Coast Podcast here, your weekly edition. Last night, Tar Heels fall to Duke, 62-57 to at the Smith Center Senior Night, last regular season game in the Dean Dome. I'm Joey Powell. Appreciate y'all being here. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. The boys are not in a great mood. None of us are in a great mood. Nobody in the fan base is in a great mood. So let's just get going, shall we? Fellas, last night, uh, we finally got the consistency that we were looking for from these Tar Heels in the sense that they lost to Duke almost by the same score in almost the exact same fashion that they lost to Duke a month ago. One field goal in the last four minutes, uh, terrible shots out of timeouts. They gave up a Jeremy Roach layup when they absolutely needed to get a stop in the waning seconds of the game, and they shot roughly 30% from the field. That leaves us with the Tar Heels getting a beautiful seven seed in the NCAA, or in the ACC tournament, finishing the conference season with a 12-8 and eight record. And yes, I'm going to let you both start. Sherelle, you first. What did you see last night? Kind of the same thing we've been watching all season. Um, a UNC team that is talented enough to play with anyone in the country, as evidenced by you know, games against Alabama and, and Duke and Virginia and Ohio State and Michigan. Some, you know, some teams have struggled. Some teams have, have improved throughout the year, but they can play with anyone. That's not a question. <clears throat> it's just a matter of continued focus and execution, not just for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but for 40 minutes. And through a regular season, 31 games, they've proven that they can't consistently execute when it matters the most. Um I don't have the stat in front of me, but it's in Adam's story from yesterday. But so many times they've had these second half leads that they just can't hold on to. And it's perplexing. And I, I uh, you know, try to kind of talk to the fan base at large on Twitter, realizing that Twitter is a bubble and doesn't represent the entire fan base. Ooh. But I, I to me, that's the biggest question that I don't want answered, you know, when the season mercifully ends <laughs> uh, at some point <laughs> in the next few weeks is how does a team with so many experienced players just kind of wilt in pressure situations and in the yeah. clutch so many times this year? So to me, it was just kind of more of the same. It's almost become predictable for the fan base. And 
Speaking of Twitter mentions, uh, shout out to old boy that blew up my mentions last night talking about that, uh, making comments about my receding hair and wearing flat bills at, quote, my age, but said he doesn't listen. I see you. I see you out there. Sean, what did you see last night? <laughs> this is probably one of the first times I, I did not feel that UNC was the, the better team in the matchup. I mean, I, I think you can go all the way back to the beginning of the year with Iowa State and even Alabama. Uh, you always felt UNC was a better team, and they played like it, but they they would end up giving it away. Um, this one, the first half was a was a slog. They, they jumped up jumped up early, had the crowd ready to go. Uh, you know, if if Caleb hadn't got fouled on that on that dunk, but instead they they gave up a quick lead, and then it was just uh, really tough uh, trying to you know, keep a lead from ballooning as well as trying to cut into that, into that lead. Uh, so going into going into halftime, it was almost the reverse of the first Duke game where I felt they were lucky to be down um, just a bucket this time around where the first time I felt they should have been up, uh, you know, six to eight, six to eight points the first time. And then the second half, same, same thing. You know, the, the lead got up to seven. They, they got it, got it up to four. Once again, you're thinking, okay, one, one more stop and they can potentially push this, push this open but then all of a sudden uh you know when, when unc was down four it felt like it they took 15 minutes to to tie it up when duke was down four it took two two possessions um so it it was it was a, it was a challenge watching that um it was a slow pace almost similar to uva style game and and defense um and you know it was, it was just frustrating seeing the continued missed shots some that some that were good looks that that didn't go down that, that were so, so close and, and others that were forced because of the, the Duke defense, but, but it, just overall disappointing, uh, knowing that it was Duke at home. Uh, they had a chance to even the series close out on a four game win streak, uh, potentially take a lot of pressure off of the ACC tournament. And now you're kind of in, in no man's land where even if they were waiting until the end of the year to, Hey, let's, let's just get in the tournament. And now we're ready to rock and roll. Um, now, now it's a week early, and they're 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 really literally on their on their deathbed and and trying to trying to stay alive uh, during ACC play. Sherelle, you've said all along that this team is talented. Do you still feel that way as we sit on March fifth? You know, at this point, are they are they a talented team that can't jump shoot? Because uh, again, even last night, it wasn't just jump shots. Last night, they missed unofficially four hundred twenty three bunnies. So I, I would ask you, you know, do you still feel that this is a talented team or are they what their record says they are? They're both. They're a talented team who has a bad record. <clears throat> and I think that's where the frustration again and in, in kind of you know, reading the fan base online and talking to folks and, and reading the message boards and everything. The frustration comes from the part because they've seen individual players do it. They've seen it over and over over the last few years, but they've never really seen everyone do it together you know over the course of the same game even the magical ncaa tournament run last year it was never everybody clicking at the same time it was one or two guys kind of going supernova at a time and and getting unc to victory and i think that's what's frustrating is that for whatever reason through two coaching staffs and now in their third season um together this group just never really put it together even even, like I said, in the run last year, it was more 
a couple of guys per game than it was consistently everyone doing what they're supposed to do. So I, I think that's where the frustration comes in. But I, again, I, 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 I dare someone <laughs> to find me a coach who was like, I won't take a, a player like Caleb Love, uh, a player like R.J. Davis, and All American slash All ACC uh, big man like Armando Baycott, uh, kind of you know utility guy like Pete Nance, and then uh, a defender like Leaky. You know, I, I think I think most coaches would. I'd say. 90%, 85% of coaches in college basketball would change their roster. Now, obviously, we're talking about North Carolina, so that doesn't mean a lot to people because people feel like Carolina should have that upper, you know, 1% of, of talent. So um, I said all that to say, yes, they are talented, and yes, they are also not a very good team. And that's where the frustration and I think the disconnect comes in because you see it, but they just can't do it consistently. Yeah, uh, I, again, I know the fan base is pissed, rightfully so. A lot of people mad at folks like us for predicting that this team would be good this season. And, you know, we talked with Jay Billis on Inside Carolina Live yesterday. He said the same thing, like maybe the media overrated him a little bit, but you can't look at a team that was as good as they were down the stretch last year and not think that they would improve in the offseason into this year. Like, that just that doesn't happen where a team goes from where North Carolina was on the precipice of, of you know, national championship, uh, half away from a national championship. I won't go one rebound, but we'll go half away from a national championship. And, in, you know, normal trajectory says that they improve over the summer and come into the next year with even more. And nobody would have predicted that. So that's the fact that, you know, most of, of – media and people that watch ball expected that is not out of the norm. Yeah. Collective and individual improvement over the off season is a reasonable assumption uh, when it comes to things. Now I, I know people want us to blow the coach up, but if you want to talk about a, a coaching issue, then you have to wonder, you know, why isn't anyone demonstrably better than they were at this point last year? Now that is a legitimate question. I think you That's can fair. ask and say what, what happened this summer and, and maybe it's something uh, or a situation where in the offseason when the UNC staff is, you know, doing their self-scout and, and looking at how things went, they can say, well, how, how did we end up where, you know, these guys are basically the same players? Is it what we're running? Is it that they didn't work hard? Which I, I don't think it's that because all these guys are kind of maniacal in how they work or else they wouldn't be at a place like UNC. So is it is it scheme? Is it um, what we do in practice? Is it, you know... Uh, uh, the stuff we run in games, what, what is it? And, and I hope that they'll take that time and have the introspection and be open with themselves enough to kind of look at it and say, okay, maybe it was X, Y, Z, let's change that this summer. Sean, why is offense so difficult for this team? Or at least why does it look so difficult for this team? Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, again, this isn't me kissing the staff's butt, but I am saying that they know more about basketball than we do. I don't think anybody would argue that. So why is it that anytime this team goes into an offensive set, offense looks difficult, whether they're playing against, you know, a decent defense like Duke has turned out to be, or whether they're playing against Southwest Louisiana Tech State Sisters of the Poor <laughs> Community College, right? Like, why does offense always look so difficult currently with this team in this system? You know, I'm going to go with our favorite word from last year, ball movement. And that's not the, the sole reason, but I, I do think that is a is a large part. Sherelle was talking about 
uh, not everybody's been able to play well together against Duke. It was Armando and, and RJ. Uh, and then you really had three of the other starters not not stepping up. Uh, but at the same time, even when they are going on their short runs, it, it's rare that they can string together consecutive possessions where they're moving the ball, they're making the defense work. Um, you know, I do think lately we have been seeing a lot of the the zoom plays, the dribble handoffs, trying to get Caleb or RJ going to the basket. But you you look at that and it's only involving two, maybe three players. And it does allow uh, the other two players not in that set. One, it makes them stationary offensively, uh, but also it gives the defense now really two safeties, which makes it all the harder if Armando's trying to catch the ball or if Caleb is trying to go to the basket. Several times they're able to to get into the paint and kick out and you have a wide open jump shot that that you're not hitting. Um, and if you're not hitting those, then, you know, why is the defense going to do anything different? But I think this goes to your introspection comment. We'll love to see the offense where there is um, almost, you know, almost five people are moving at once. They're, it's making the defense a lot more difficult rather than uh, keeping their eye on two to three players and and watching that. So I think ball movement in general, we've seen the poor play and transition. I mean, even even yesterday, uh, the RJ to, to Caleb uh, fast break, which led to two free throws, you saw in the replay and they're talking about, oh, the pass was pass was behind him. And it's just, we haven't seen very crisp uh, fast breaks where it's a pass to pass. It's usually one guy taking it. Um, and I think that led, goes into the half court set. And once again, when you don't have four players that can score at a high level, it makes things a lot more difficult. But right now, it's usually two to three people that are that are the focus points, uh, both offensively and defensively. And I know that's supposed to give space in general, but if you don't have the personnel for that space to pay off, you 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 wish they would try something different. And I think a lot of the frustration probably stems from going all the way back to the Alabama game, where you did watch four overtimes and regulation, where it did feel just here's this isolation ball time and time again. And not that they're still doing that nearly as much, but I think that, ha- you know, in my mind and others' minds, that ha- it just kind of started there. And you're not seeing, you're not seeing five guys play, play together. Far too often, and I'm going to stay with you here, Sean, far too often this team uh, looks easy to defend. And if you watch NBA ball, there is a lot of five out. There is a lot of four out. Um, but to your point, there's more action going on. And even after North Carolina gets into their typical sets of, you know, high ball screen, dribble handoff, whatever. After that, to your point, there's only a handful of guys moving. Usually the corners are pretty stagnant. Maybe there's an inversion uh, on the baseline, but it looks really easy to defend. And they can use the two safeties like you're talking about. If you were the coach, what additional actions would you like to see after that initial high ball screen, that initial dribble handoff at the top of the key? What would you like to see there? Because we were talking offline and Cheryl went back to a press conference earlier this year where Hubert Davis said he wanted to see penetration that gets points in the paint. And since the Syracuse game, and I, I, I'm not speaking for the entire fan base or all I see subscribers here, but I think I've heard them say, uh, and I think this is a, a fair assumption, there just hasn't been a lot of innovation from the offense after those initial plays at the top of the key. So, Sean, you the coach, what would you like to see there? Or what do you think probably should be coming there? Maybe the staff's instilled and it's just not happening. 
<laughs> so that's a, a great question, a tough question. I mean, I, I think more quick quick hitters, quick decisions, uh, which goes back to is this team capable of of executing on on making quick mm-hmm. decisions? But more often than not, especially in crucial times of the game, you're seeing shots happen in the final few seconds of the shot clock because it took them a little while to get into the offense. Um, they weren't able to get get their first or second look. And now here they are with with 10 seconds and they're they're doing a heave. The very uh, not the first play, but the first basket of the game, the pick and roll with Armando, uh, just nice little little bounce pass, easy two hand dunk, um, and that that was probably the easiest easiest basket of the game. And you saw that you said, okay, they're going to try to it, you know, play lively a little bit, a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. But then it it really reverted back to what they're doing, uh, you know, time and time again. Granted, once again that there were possessions where there were great decisions made and, and just shots didn't fall. Um, but once again, that's trying to put players in the right place at the right time. So it would be, you know, quick decisions, trying to get leaky cutting to the basket um, because, or, or, or almost maybe putting him in, in some of the screens, because if, if you're going to play a safety off of him, at least get him in the action um, versus making it very easy for the defender, whether it was, Filipowski, who's bigger, or Isaiah Wong in Miami, their feet are in the paint. They're ready to double Armando. Um, so I, I do think it's just trying to get get um, easier easier shots, easier decisions. But at the same time, it's not like the coaching staff hasn't hasn't thought of that. But it has been frustrating just to to watch. And when you have crucial possessions and you're not getting good good looks, um, you know it, it it then snowballs uh, downhill very quickly. Uh, Shrill, I, I don't, I'm not trying to ask you a question that there's no answer to, nor am I trying to ask you a question that, that you probably don't know an answer to, but I feel like we have to ask it. Um, at what point is the play calling deserved to bear some of the, the brunt here? We saw the end of the Duke game for the second time this year and, and multiple times during that game and other games down the stretch where North Carolina out of a timeout just doesn't get anything. And sometimes they don't even get a shot, um, but but they definitely don't get what I'm assuming the coaches are asking for. Where's the disconnect there? And and if it's if the coaches are calling something that the team can't run, at what point do you have to call something different? Yeah, that's another loaded question, Joey. You're you're full of those tonight. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> it's fine. I I would say uh, I think once you get into the you know game twenty game 25 and you're Mm -hmm. getting the same results then you do probably need to try something different and maybe they have and it's to our untrained eye very possible folks who don't know the intricacies of the game like you know the coaching staff does maybe they have tried something and and it's not working so um i want to give them a a little bit of credit that they probably are smart enough to know like hey these these shots we're taking aren't working and the players shooting them shouldn't be shooting them because they're not very good at taking them Sure. So hopefully, in a you know you would assume that they understand that. Um, but I do think they they do ultimately shoulder the blame. I mean, it comes back to the coaching staff eventually because they're the ones who are are, are making the calls. They're the ones who are, who are saying the goal of this play is X, Y, and Z. And so uh, if X doesn't work, then you go to Y. And if Y doesn't work, then you go to Z. So if a player does E, then that's on the coaching staff to say, hey, player, you cannot do E because the options were X, Y, and Z. You'd never want to completely eliminate 
a player's ability to just go make a basketball play. Mm-hmm. But when it happens over and over and over again, um, again, that's when you have to look at the coaching staff and say, well, why are you letting this happen if you want, you know, a certain desired outcome? Uh, yeah. So that, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it is that they, they shoulder they shoulder blame because, you know, you, you can't keep doing the same thing <laughs> and seeing it doesn't work and, you know, expect it to magically just uh, become successful. If you do something a hundred times and it doesn't work seventy-five times, then you probably just start doing something else. Well, and it's I mean, not I, as if it's not as if we didn't see their ability to scheme something like they did at the end of the Ohio State game. That was a highly improbable uh, play that that Coach Lebo drew up, and the, the team went and executed it. So, uh, you know, I, and, I know it splits between staff and players as to as to who's at fault. I'm I'm not even I'm not even yeah. looking forward to to put the blame squarely somewhere here. I just I, I wonder at what point you know. At what point do you just kind of have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and just draw something up every time as opposed to going back to maybe something that you're familiar with that you can't do? And and to their credit, let me jump in, Sean, sorry. You know, after the, after the Portland, let's call it disaster, and then Indiana and Virginia Tech, they did revamp things. Because the way they played those first, I guess, nine games of the season and the way they came back once they played Georgia Tech and, and went to that December stretch was very different. It was much more... Armando Baycott uh, focus. They mm-hmm. they talked about running different sets. They talked about doing things. So they the staff has shown it's capable of, of changing in flight. Right. Um, you know, you just wonder where that was. And we were talking offline about um, they were seven and three after the Syracuse game with yep. seven days off. And you thought, okay, this is when they're they'll add some wrinkles, they'll change some things to set themselves up for these final ten games and go on a run. And it just it doesn't appear to have happened. I won't even say it doesn't appear. It just it just didn't happen. I mean, and I'm sure they're probably seeing the same things in this Miss Center. So it's not like they're I, I'm I don't mean to come at this as if they're not frustrated and they want the results that they've been getting, because I guarantee you, to use an old Roy Williams euphemism, you know, he want he knows more in his pinky or he wants it, you know, worse than anybody else in the family. I get that. I believe that. Sean, was there something you wanted to add there? Uh I mean, just been thinking about transition play. They they did get out a little bit more early on. And, it was not. It was not no at one point in the game. You're right. Yeah, uh, which I, I think it, it stayed at nine for the the entire game. But you, you've seen it at, at certain times of the year. Uh, so usually coming off a loss in, in the first half, where they make a concerted effort. You know, maybe it's Armando running the floor, or maybe it's the guards pushing up and trying to you know swing it and reverse the ball quickly, just to once again put the pressure on the defense instead of letting them letting them off and, and then putting the pressure on the mm-hmm. offense, the final 15 seconds. And I, I think it was the Notre Dame game afterwards where uh, Hebert was talking about, okay, you have 0.5 seconds. You're either going to you know look for your shot or look to make a move or pass the ball. And fortunately that just has not been, been the case for probably 80, 80% of the, the minutes or offensive possessions, especially in a lower offensive possession game where for the most part, your offensive rebounding has been been taken out because you do have two seven-footers. You know, if, if you're able to get uh, just a few <laughs> a few other easier easier looks or easier baskets, that can make that can make all the difference. But pretty much throughout the entire season, it's been uh, just a few possessions each game that have made the difference, usually in the wrong way. And, you know, I wanted to add, you talked about Lively earlier, Sean. I think that was another frustrating thing from a UNT perspective is that um, he didn't have a much of an impact on this game, nearly as much as he had in the first game. And Carolina got him into foul trouble. I think he only played 16 or 17 minutes. And they just weren't able to take advantage of it. I mean, um, I know, I understand the idea that 
Armando Bacot is getting double and triple teamed, then you can't force feed him the ball every possession. Um, but there, there's got to be a way, and this is where the people who are paid a lot of money uh, yeah. to figure these, these things out have to figure it out. There has to be a way to get him more shots in a game where the best, you know, pro, uh, the best post defender is out, you know, with, in foul trouble, because Armando's he he was revved up, his motor was running really really high, he was rim running the entire. How many game. times was he out in front of everybody else on the court after after a um a failed def- defensive set or a failed offensive set by the opponent? Yeah, and and, just- and didn't never got a pitch ahead. Shouts to DeMarco Dunn. I think DeMarco Dunn gave him the one pitch ahead the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's there's got to be a way to, to to get him more involved in, in the offense and in, in those situations when there's a clear advantage for UNC on the offensive end. Um, again, I'll, I'll do respect to Young from Duke, but he's just not the defender that Derek Lively is. And Armando Baycott is, is a really good offensive player. So you have to you have to find ways to get, you know, him the ball in position, find ways to get him shots, find ways to keep him involved because that's your, your best advantage in that situation is to go into Baycott. There so, are times two, when, go ahead, Sean. Two, two things. One, um, you know, young, fully agree with, with the skill level, but I thought he had an A plus game in terms of what, what he brought off the bench and just made it difficult. You probably could have called him for a foul almost every single time down for what he was doing before Armando got the ball or when he did get the ball, but, the rest weren't were going to call call it, and he, uh, you know, he played extremely aggressive. Um, he definitely doesn't bring that shot blocking presence, but you didn't see UNC being able to to get to the rim and and challenge him where I think they could have could have scored. And then he was he was getting rebounds, and he came off the bench and he, he gave them a, a fantastic effort, especially when Lively, as you said, only played 16, 17 minutes, didn't have that impact until the final final few. And I might get killed for this, but after Armando's sophomore year, uh, you know, he hit a lot of 16 to 18, not a lot, but he hit several 16 to 18 foot jump shots during the year. Going into the junior year, you heard about all the focus on the outside jump shot, the three-pointer. And not that I would have liked to have seen a three-pointer develop, but if he could have just developed a 10-foot face-up, you know, that could alleviate could have alleviated a lot of the pressure on him. Uh, because everything he does for the most part has to be back to the basket unless they get him, get him moving. Um, and, and you're not often seeing him penetrate with a spin move, uh, you know, from, from the top, but if he had been able to develop just, uh, you know, a, a short mid range jump shot that could have opened things up a lot for him. Um, and he's been playing at a, obviously a high level lead, leading rebounder in Carolina history, but it's kind of the same player that, that he was last year, which at the same time, you know, you have to tip your cap off to because the majority of the other players have regressed. So at least he's maintained that level. But I, I do think if he had been able to develop that short jump shot, uh, you know, he would be much, much more dangerous and it would make life a lot harder to to double team him. Not for nothing. I also think North Carolina needs to, um, let me take this step back. I don't want to try to sideline coach here, but I do wonder at times are North Carolina's guards confident enough in throwing a post entry. I do think there are times a post entry is available and either they don't see it or maybe the action determines that it's not a priority, but there are many times this season where Armando Baycott has had a post seal and, and just never even gets a sniff. And I, I think that when you have a player of his caliber to echo you, Sean, I think that's, that's really important. All right, last question before we take a break and then talk about some recruiting stuff. Um, 
Gentlemen, yes or no question. Does North Carolina deserve to be in the NCAA tournament? Sherelle, <laughs> you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Not executing, that's not that's executing he, in the clutch. Probably yeah. what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as of today, right now, with the resume, no. Yeah, okay. Even even if they, they win two games in the, in the ACC tournament, do they deserve I, to be in the ACC tournament? No, they've had, they, they've had more than ample opportunities to, to win their way into the tournament without needing help from mm-hmm. Boise State or some random team in some random conference. This is a systematic failure from the top to the bottom in North Carolina, the fact that they have to win the ACC tournament to yeah. get you know into the NCAA tournament. So, no, I don't, I don't think so. Sean? Um, you know, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going, I'm going to say yes. Can you and... say so without making a comment about the big 10? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 so the because the, it, the big it, 10 is all getting into the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you've learned that or not. You know, there's more, you know, there's more than 10 teams in the big 10. By the Absolutely. Way. They, they, they brought in teams for this week just to give them bids in the NCAAs. To, to Sherelle's point, they've had ample games, ample mm-hmm. leads uh, to to have those quad one wins. Um, you know, Ohio State, Michigan could have been quad one. Michigan, they can't win at the end of games games either. <laughs> um, but it's not it's going back. Besides for Wake Forest, besides for at Indiana, which is coming. You know, they've been in the games. They've they've been they've had the lead in these games, which makes it all the more frustrating. It's not like they're getting blown out. They're coming down to the final minutes. Mm-hmm. against all these teams um and you, you do look at you know whether it's espn or whoever a lot of the teams you know eight nine ten i mean it's not like their wins are that that great i mean w- wisconsin's been in the mix and they're they're under 500 and they're garbage go ahead in big 10 play but you can kind of go through that and i think it goes to the frustration of at least wanting to see unc in the tournament just to mm-hmm. just give them a shot um, even if they haven't pulled their weight, but you can look at the resumes for a lot of the other teams in this, in this range. And I, I don't think there's a lot of difference, um, besides maybe some lower quad one wins, which at the end of the day, you know, then I know we're talking about the, the net and the other quad one wins, but I, I still think they've shown better, even in their losses and a lot of these other teams. But once again, we're in this, we're, we're having this discussion where, we're talking about for the third year in a row and not even because they at least got the eight, you know, eight, nine seed past two years. But, um, you know, I, I would still like to see them in the tournament getting that opportunity, but you know, they haven't put themselves in that position. And I think even, even in the ACC, um, you know, I could see last year they, they beat UVA uh, to end UVA season. And I'm kind of expecting that result uh this year unless the committee takes it takes it easy on them and puts them in a uh, puts them in a playing game so it it bears pointing out that were north carolina to have beaten duke uh on saturday night that they would have roughly uh, a very similar resume as far as quad one wins rpi strength of schedule a lot of that would have been the same but alas like you guys just point out they had multiple chances this year and and just simply didn't do it um somebody that does come through in the clutch is Johnny's t-shirt. Um, they absolutely have more quad win, quad one wins than anybody else in the country. Um, if you compare Johnny t-shirt to Salem, Oregon shirt shop or, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, Badger tea, 
Johnny T-shirt's up 42 to zero at the half. Uh, Johnny T-shirt needs to be your stop. Get your gear. I don't think they're going to have any uh, UNC uh, NCAA tournament Sweet 16 Final Four shirts this year. But damn it, if the Tar Heels made it, Johnny T-shirt would have it for you. Hit them up. Use your premium code off the premium message board to get your extra 10% off. Uh, they'd love to take care of you. We would love it if you would allow them to take care of you. Uh, so use Johnny T-shirt. Show them some love. We appreciate their support here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Take a break. Let the national guys drop some ads in here. We'll be right back. Talk a little recruiting, a little more positivity for the fan base, for everybody tuned in tonight. Stick around. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, thanks for being here. We appreciate you listening to or watching the show. I'm Joey Powell, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, along for the ride as always, delivering to you that which you seek as we talk Tar Heel Ball. Boys, we have peeled every single layer off the onion that is the Tar Heel loss to Duke, and for the most part, the regular season. Let's talk something happier. Uh, recruiting. Tar Heels, specifically the guys that are in the 24 class, uh, seem to be doing fairly well in their playoff runs. Sherelle, you want to give us a, a rundown there? I know I know, Cousin Drake and his folks over at Northwood are going to be playing for a state championship. What else do you have for us? Uh, that's the main thing. Uh, Ian Jackson actually had a game this evening. I haven't checked. Um, to see where they are. Um, actually, there we go. Uh, defending uh, champs, Cardinal Hayes survive a scrappy team to win 58-54, advancing to the semifinals. So they won tonight. All right. um, so they will be in the semifinals at some point. I haven't really had a chance to check. I think that game just ended not long ago. Um, but he's still playing. Uh, 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 Isaiah Harwell, who actually is a 2025 UNC target, mm -hmm. you know, kind of down the road, only player in that class on the offer. Um, his team was able to qualify for Geico, which is the big, huge national tournament um, that's coming up at the end of March, I believe. So uh, he'll be playing some more. 
Obviously, Drake will be playing in the State 3A championship game, which I believe will be in Reynolds Coliseum on Saturday. Not sure if a time has been announced or not. Uh, but besides that, uh, most of Carolina's guys are, are kind of done. Obviously, Elliot Cadeau has been in Sweden uh, with the national team. Even though his responsibilities with the national team are done, he's been over there, you know, kind of hanging out with family and, and taking in some time there. Um, but his team will also be in the Geico um, finals at the end of March. So uh, two UNC guys uh, will be playing at the end of March, uh, as well as Aiden High. He's still playing. Um, so all three of them will be in Geico. Ian Jackson still chasing a, a championship in New York. Simeon Wilcher just won a championship uh, in New York. And Drake Powell will be playing for a championship uh, this coming weekend. So, uh, you know, the guys, are they're, they're all playing well. All good stuff. And you love to have that pedigree where you're bringing in recruits that have won at high levels and have won, you know, high caliber tournaments. Sean, can you tell me, does the, does the lizard have a decent jump shot? <laughs> Nothing. It's a Geico tournament. Follow me here, kid. Has uh, the, ba I'm, I'm, is the baby little, brain totally killed you? I'm, I'm a little slow. Sorry. All right. Sorry fair enough. That, but, fair enough. Um, no, I'm probably shooting around 20, 25%. All right. What are you expecting to see at the, uh, the Geico invitation when that comes around? I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, Elliot Cadeau, uh, There'll be a little little piece coming out on his on his play with the Sweden national team. It, it was only two games. He came off the bench playing about seven. Uh, he, he played 15 minutes total over two games, so there there wasn't a lot uh, to look at. But we will analyze his play. Uh, we're able to get some quotes from the Sweden head coach as well. But really looking forward to seeing him play, uh, especially against some some high talented uh, teams. Man, you know, would love if the twenty four class were the were the twenty three class, and we had all these guys. <laughs> you and everybody else coming, bro. coming in. Um, you know, Drake Powell was watching uh, a very low scoring affair, which almost seemed like a, a NCAA tournament game of you know the opposing team working the shot clock. Uh, you know, getting getting good shots, holding teams to to one you know one shot attempt as well. But really excited to see him. During, I'd say the spring, spring AAU season, uh, just because of how he has looked. And I know high school and AAU completely different, but just in terms of his size and athleticism and what he's been able to do, I'm really excited to see him, uh, you know, on the 17 year old circuit. I thought he blended in a lot on the 16s, but he just looks um, so impressive from a physical standpoint right now that I'm interested to see it, see it carry over. Uh, but you know, it's been nice seeing all the all the recruits playing and and playing with strong teams and and doing well. Uh, but it'll be fun for the Carolina fans to watch a few more over the next coming coming weeks. Let me jump in, Sean. Too, I, I, I neglected to mention. Um, we talked about ad nauseum after he committed the things specifically. I want to tip my hat to you, Sean. Uh, the things that Drake Powell needed to work on to improve his game, and he's really had an amazing scholastic season. Sherelle, Drake Powell has a newly minted ranking. And maybe maybe picked up another uh, another bit out of the sky there. What do you get? Uh yeah. So uh, twenty four twenty four seven sports updated its twenty twenty four rankings uh, this past week, and Powell was one of the biggest movers, going from thirty seven to nineteen. Um, for those who care about that kind of thing, shout out to my friend Justin. Uh, he is now a five star uh, recruit. So North Carolina in twenty twenty four has Drake Powell, who's ranked number nineteen, which is a five star, obviously. Excuse me, Elliot Cadeau dropped one spot from 10 to 11, still a five star. Um, and then Ian Jackson dropped two spots from three to five. So 
Um, UNC with three guys inside of the top 20. Um, that hasn't happened very often in, in recent years. So, uh, was last time, when was the last time it happened? <laughs> so I, I, I have to double check on that. I have to double check. Oh, on okay. That I, thought, because, I thought you had that at the ready. I'm sorry. Yeah. So at one point, at one point, uh, Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp were also in the top 20, but I think in the final rankings, they weren't in the finals. Yeah. 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 So at one point, Caleb Love, Walker Kessler and, and Dayron Sharp were all top 20. Um, but before that, I, I think it's, uh, Ty Wayne and, um, Brandon Wright. I think you have to go back to to that group to have uh, three guys in the top twenty. I'll have to I'll have to check and you know obviously go back and check it to be sure, but I I think that's the case. Um, at any rate, and then James Brown, uh, UNC's uh, forward commit, he did drop some from thirty nine to fifty, and I think it's probably a better, more realistic ranking right now for him. Not to say that he's not going to be a really good player for UNC moving forward. But, you know, a lot of the ranking is projection. There, there's projection to the NBA. There's projection in skill set uh, development. There's projection to how they'll play in college as well. And probably how they play in college, in my opinion, seems to be weighted a little less than the other two. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't see a 50 by James Brown's name and think that he's not going to contribute to UNC at some point in the next couple of years. Um, but he's, he's got a big summer ahead of him anyway. I would yeah, imagine. yeah, for sure. Just to, to Sean's point, just like uh, Drake Powell does, because, um, you know, kids say they don't look at rankings, but they do. Yep. And they're going to say, oh, the, the kid from from Pittsburgh's, you know, top 20 in the country now. OK, let's let's see what I can do against him. Um, not not dissimilar from what UNC faces, you know, when teams uh, come into the Smith Center or when, when UNC goes to play them in their gym. So. All right, boys. Two pennies time. What do you have two cents for me before we get out of here, Sean? Well, for, for ACC play, I mean, it's going to come each game if, if there are multiple games. Uh, well, because I think first game will be telling, are, are they, are they, can they get locked in again? There've been a lot of, a lot of lows that they've tried to bounce back from. You, you think each one is the end of it, but then another one comes and that has to take, a, <laughs> a, it has to take a mental, mental toll. So, you know, are they ready to play against BC or Louisville um, to get to the UVA game? And can they stay, you know, getting to the championship is doable because they're all these teams are beatable, but at the same time, I do think even if they get to UVA, it's going to be a tough, tough one. Um, and in these games, very simple, are they getting to eight three pointers? <laughs> if they're not, <laughs> if they're not, then it's, it's a loss. If they are, then you know, they're, they're either winning or it's going to be a competitive, you know, a, a competitive game, but the power of the three, it, it opens everything up. Um, it, it makes offense look a lot better. It's what got that huge lead against UVA at home and allowed them to, you know, go through a, a really a rough stretch the whole second half. But when you're shooting 20, 25, 30%, you're hitting five threes. It's not going to get it done. Can they hit eight in any of the games going forward? And can they bounce back from, uh, having their second worst ACC, uh, ACC offense. Um, both both games against Duke were number nineteen and number twenty oh. in terms of points per possession. So can they bounce back? And you know, or or, or is it gonna is that gonna be it? So we'll see. Hopefully, you know, we're we're talking and they do make the the tournament next Sunday. Uh, but they definitely have some work cut out, which is uh, unfortunate that we're talking about that at this point in time. I don't think this team. Now I'm sitting here thinking about it. I was gonna. I was going to make a plea to Brian Ives to get us a number of what this team has shot in the Greensboro Coliseum, but I don't think they've played in the Greensboro Coliseum yet. Have they, Shrill? 
I don't believe think, so. No, I don't think they play any neutral site games there either. So it'll be uh, be interesting to see how they how they shoot in that gym. Trill, any uh, anything you want to add before we close up tonight? Um, so you know we've been I don't want to say negative. We just reporting on kind of talking about what we saw. Well, everybody's gonna um, say we're too positive anyway. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's the madness of you know college basketball. Would you be shocked? Terribly, terribly shocked if you know they beat. BC or Louisville, BC Quentin Quentin um, Post is we're not sure how he is if he's if he's healthy if he's not and if he's not playing then that hurts BC so uh, if they beat BC or Louisville would we be surprised if they beat UVA would we be surprised if they find a way somehow to eke out a win on Friday and get to Saturday and then have forty minutes again for a chance to get back in the tournament um, it wouldn't be surprising at all again because this team. Uh, it, you can raise your hand. Yeah, maybe, maybe I, would I would be surprised. And you know what? Happy to be surprised. I actually made a side bet with our guy, uh, John Minadakis, who is probably listening to the show. I told him, and I don't mind saying it on the show, North Carolina wins the ACC tournament this weekend. I'll get a Jimmy Famous seafood tattoo. <laughs> That's, you should have one of those anyway. I'm on the record honest. with it. I'm on the record <laughs> with it. Of course, then also, but, if I get the tattoo, I can kind of lean on John for for amazing crab whenever I want it. But go ahead, Trill. There you go. Yeah, I just I just think with with the variance with this team, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they you know get dialed in and, and they hit a couple of shots and that confidence starts snowballing. I could also see them to Sean's point being like, you know what, we we gave it all. It was a good run, and and losing to either BC or Louisville on Wednesday, neither of those things I think would be surprising at all. And that's kind of the overarching theme I think about this team is that neither of those things would be surprising. So that, that is um, number one. And then number two, uh, 20 games of ACC play. So a very representative sample and it, it was the offense. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to everyone at this point, UNC in, in conference only stats, they were 15th last in effective field goal percentage and 15th last in three point percentage. That's insane. They were third in defensive efficiency in conference play over 20 games. So the defense, I, I think, outside of a couple of stretches, you know, against Wake and, you know, maybe Miami, the defense has been really good. It's, it's been one of the three best in the conference pretty much the entire season. But the it's offense, been an, it's been enough. Yeah. The offense yeah. let it down. And, and entering the season, that's just not something that I nor <laughs> I, I, a lot of people were prepared for. Oh, we're not digging up the over-under preseason bets that we did yet, but that will be something that certainly comes up, and I'm sure you guys might injure yourselves with how far your eyes roll back in your head at that one. But That's going to be I mean, tough the, to listen to. The, the one I remember is the assists, and Oof. you went into that thinking, hey, this is a potential championship-level team. UNC's mm -hmm. teams in the past have reached that level, and uh, I think they're at 11 during ACC play, and, and that's obviously the assist to um, field goals made has been talking point all year but you can go on, on down that list and uh it probably probably would be in the red pretty significantly i think, I think it was 17 i said over uh, <laughs> that's funny i mean they've gone weeks of basketball play where they hadn't combined for 17 but hey everybody else was wrong too so we'll wear that we got no problem with it boys i'm thankful for you appreciate you being here appreciate john siegley for producing thanks to johnny t-shirt for sponsoring the show Appreciate all of you for tuning in, as always. We like doing these, regardless of what's going on in the court. It's fun to talk hoops with these guys, and it's fun to have everybody out there who's tuned in, watching, and listening. We appreciate you being a part of the fam. Until next time, y'all have a great week. For Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, I'm just Joey Powell. We'll catch you next time on the next edition of the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Lee.
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.